Hi guys, this is Fatal Tales. My name's Katie. And I'm Azra. And today we're going to be doing a case on a killer nurse. Which is a absolutely terrifying concept in my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's like the person at the hospital that's supposed to be taking care of you and instead they're actively trying to kill you. Yeah, I mean... Like, when you stay at a hospital, the person that you rely on the most is your nurse. They do pretty much everything for you. And they're also the one who, the ones who administer the medications that your doctor prescribes for you. And you just trust them I was to gonna be say, you're giving you the super, correct... Super vulnerable. Right, exactly. And this guy just, like, took advantage of that. Yeah. Fuck this dude. Mm-hmm. High key. So, we're going to be taking you guys to Germany today. There are lots of cases of killer nurses, believe it or not, which is really wonderful to think about. But, we're going to be talking about one of the most notorious ones. Like I said, we're going to be in Germany, and we're going to be talking about Niels Hogel. So, Niels was born in Wilhelmshaven in northern Germany. I am so sorry if I said that wrong or any of the names wrong, like, for the remainder of this episode. Just a blanket apology. We don't speak German. The most German that I know is Danke or whatever. So, we're high-key fucked is what I'm saying as far as names go. <laughs> names of places in particular because, yeah... From the accounts that we read, Niels had what most would consider a typical upbringing with both his parents present and an older sister. Now, Niels' father was a nurse, and Niels decided pretty early on that he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps. And so he went to school to become a nurse and began to work in an Oldenburg hospital in 1999. In 2004, his daughter was born, and that same year, he got married to his girlfriend. Now, that's a pretty short backstory, and the reason for that is that we weren't able to find a ton of information on his early childhood and upbringing or anything like that. Right. A lot of, this case really, honestly, there's not, like, there's some info and there's some speculation, but there's not, it's not like Ted Bundy where you can just, like, learn all about his entire life and everything that he did and where he was. Like, there's just not coverage like that. So, Mm -hmm. we did what we could with what we had. So, Niels Hogel had worked at at the hospital in Oldenburg between 1999 and 2003, And then in 2003, he transferred to Delmenhorst Hospital, and he worked in their ICU from 2003 to 2005. Now, during that time, there was a suspicious number of patients who had sudden um, cardiac arrests and, like, random ones that didn't really make any sense, and all of these patients needed to be resuscitated. Now, an interesting thing is that, like, the nurses noticed, Niels was almost always present to resuscitate these patients, and unfortunately a lot of them did not survive, 
even though Nils was there to try and resuscitate them, he wasn't actually able to with all of them. Now, on June 22nd, 2005, Niels was caught by colleagues administering a lethal injection to one of his patients at the Delmenhorst Hospital. He was injecting a lethal dose of a heart medication. And so, you know, after being caught by his colleagues, they reported him to the police and he was arrested for attempted murder. And then three years later, in 2008, sentenced to seven years in jail for attempted murder. However, this caused a lot of suspicion amongst both investigators and the families of his patients who had mysteriously passed away. And so an investigation into the career of Niels Hogel was underway. Now, really the families of his previous patients led a like had a really big role into like a lot of the investigations in this because they kept pushing and pushing and pushing for police to keep digging into like their family members deaths well i mean it kind of makes sense because if somebody was didn't have a history of like heart issues and then all of a sudden they have a heart attack in the hospital you kind of question that. So I think that they would Mm -hmm. really have kind of a sixth sense about it. Right, like, his youngest patient was, like, in his 30s. Yeah. Like, his youngest victim was in his 30s. Like, it doesn't make sense for, like, a 30-year-old, like, someone in their 30s to have a heart, sudden random heart attack. Yeah, that's so fucking sick. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the initial investigation only looked into, like, the two years that Niels was working at the Delmenhorst ICU, because that was where he was caught, and that investigation ended in 2015. Niels was put on trial again, and he had been charged with three murders in the two-year span between 2003 and 2005. Now, he was found guilty for two of the three murders and sentenced to life in prison, but that wasn't the end of the investigation into him. Apparently, around the time of his 2015 trial, he confessed to a psychiatrist that while he was working in the ICU, he knew that he had killed at least 30 patients and that he had injected at least another 60 patients with the heart medication, but they had lived. The psychiatrist testified to this in his 2015 trial, and because of that, the investigation into Niels continued even after he was sentenced for the two murders. So, we're looking at, you know, first they have the attempted murder that he gets caught doing, then they have two murders that they convict him on, and then now they're still looking into it and uncovering more and more, and it's kind of becoming this thing where they're going, wow, what the fuck did this guy do? Right, because then the psychologist comes, the psychiatrist, sorry, comes out and says, hold up, we think he killed, like, at least 30 people now. Right. And so the investigators started looking not just at the ICU in Delmanhurst, but also the hospital in Oldenburg that Niels had worked at before that. So in order to investigate this, they had to exhume many bodies in order to perform autopsies and test them for drugs that may have been administered. So, as for the drugs that Niels had given his victims, the most common injections that he would give were the heart medications Agmaline, Amiodarone, and Sotalol. 
again, probably saying that was wrong. He would also use potassium as well as lidocaine, which is an anesthetic. These medications would cause patients to go into cardiac arrest and then need resuscitation. Unfortunately, many former patients of Neal's that investigators believed may have been his victims had already been cremated. Even though investigators were sure that he was responsible for these deaths, they were unable to do autopsies because of these cremations, which means that he was never able to be convicted for many, many people's deaths. By the end of the investigation in 2019, Niels was put on trial once again for murdering 85 patients who were in his care in the six-year span. Investigators, however, believe that up to 200 deaths can be attributed to Niels, but I've seen reports that family members believe that, like, that number ranges up to about 300. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw numbers as high as 300, like 350, something like that. Yeah, so we really don't know how many people this guy has killed, but it's a fuck ton. But they were only really able to get him on 85 because of the problem with lack of evidence due to cremation and things like that. Because he fucking sucked. Yeah. Now, apparently his victims ate like apparently his victims were like between the ages of 34 and 96 so this guy wasn't just killing elderly people he was killing pretty much anybody that he could get in his care alone where he could inject them with this stuff yeah like he did not he just wanted he wanted to inject anybody he could as quick as he could. Like, he started injecting people six months after getting his first job, which right. is insane. And apparently he was doing this kind of as, like, an ego boost because he would uh, administer the lethal dose and then he would try to resuscitate them to impress his colleagues. And he claimed that when he resuscitated the patients, he felt as though he was being placed on a pedestal and it made him feel good about himself. In fact, Neil's recalls the time like his first shift back after his daughter was born he wanted to quote maintain the euphoria he felt after her birth so he injected one of his patients with agmaline um and that night the 84 year old passed away after he failed to resuscitate him so he he essentially was doing this to make himself feel better about himself but, like, yeah. in the most fucked up way possible. That's so sick that he was like, wow, I'm feeling so euphoric because my first daughter has been born. I'm gonna go fucking inject someone with a deadly injection so that I can potentially resuscitate them and feel even better for myself because of this ego boost. Oh, whoops, they're dead. Oh, right. well. Right. What are, you, what are you gonna do? Just another dead body. Toss it onto the pile. I get to go home to my full fucking family, though. Right. 
Now, someone that worked with Niels told the Bild German newspaper that he was known around the hospital as, quote, resuscitation Rambo, and that he pushed everyone else aside to resuscitate patients. So it wasn't even just that he, like, would do this and then, like, bring them back as quickly as he could. He would, like, do this, let them code, and then be like, no, guys, I got this. I can take care of it. I'm the, you know, best at handling this. Like, I have to be the one to be able to resuscitate them so that you guys can all look at me like I'm the best nurse. Right. And now his coworkers also apparently gave him a necklace of injection tubes, which he was proud to wear to commemorate his apparent, like, skills at resuscitating people or bringing them back, which is, like, just so fucked up that he's just kind of thriving on this, like oh, people, you know, really think that I'm good at this. I'm bringing people back from death that I tried to fucking kill. So gross. It really is. Now, Niels confessed to 43 murders. However, as stated, police believed that he had committed many more. But bodies that were cremated prevented the investigations into the case and potential higher body count. And when he was asked to testify about the deaths, he often remembered a lot of the details surrounding them, but there were some deaths that he didn't really remember. And you know what? I bet that's because there were so fucking many of them. Right. Well, that's the thing. He's able to remember details about specific cases, and he remembered a lot of details about some cases, but other ones it was like, eh, it was just another day. I just felt like killing somebody, so I did. Right. I mean, when your case count is potentially up to the 300s, I bet some of them blur together. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, for real. He admitted to 43 of the deaths in this final trial in 2019, but, and was able to recount the details to the court. And there were 52 deaths that he said he couldn't remember the events surrounding them well enough to know if he was responsible enough, responsible or not, sorry, but he couldn't rule it out. Fuck you. Fuck you, like, sir. Like, maybe, maybe not. I could have killed this person, but I could have been busy that day also and decided not to. What? Fuck you, sir. Like, yeah. to me, it's like... It just shows how callous he is that he really, like, I mean, he was doing it for the high, but he also really didn't care. Like, people's lives were just Mm -mm. like, eh, whatever. Yeah, he just did not, like, he's the, that's the last type of person who should become a nurse. Like, if you really care so little about other people's lives and well-being. Yeah. Now, this fucker at his trial said he feels shame And he said, quote, every single case, even just reading them, I am endlessly sorry. And it's like, (laughs) here's the thing. Sure, you're sorry. You feel bad. I don't pity you at all because you made the decision to do this. You're the reason that those people are dead. You're the one that injected them with the things that you could try to resuscitate them. If you hadn't done that, they may still be alive. And I know that, like, medical situations are complicated and sometimes people live and sometimes people don't, but, like, giving them a lethal dose of something and then bringing them back so that you can be like, I'm fucking cool, and then being like, I'm so sorry that I did that. It's like, you were so callous with people's lives. I I don't give a fuck. I just, I really don't. And, like, I don't know. I mean, 
his motive could be a lot of different things, but, like, to me, it's just, it shows a callous disregard for other people's lives, you know? I completely agree, yeah. Now, investigators said that when they were interrogating him, it took an overwhelming amount of evidence to get him to confess. Uh, and there were only five deaths that he said that, like, he conclusively knew that he didn't have anything to do with. At the end of his trial in 2019, he was found guilty for murdering 85 people and sentenced to life in prison. So that's the, like, combination of the deaths that he knew he did and the deaths that he couldn't remember but couldn't rule it out. The judge's ruling also included a remark on the special severity of what Niels had done. So it apparently makes it less likely for him to ever get released on parole in the future, that, like, ruling, so that because, so, in other countries, they don't have, like, the same kind of laws that the United States does about, like, the death penalty and the life in prison and, like, life without parole and things like that. So, instead, they kind of have done this to make it less likely that he'll ever get out or get parole. Right, yeah. Because, like, it's, in Germany, it's not like the United States where you can have, like, multiple life sentences. In Germany, you just get one. <laughs> Right, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, many people also believe that the hospital he worked at and Neil's colleagues are liable for these deaths as well. And we're going to now kind of transition into the hospital and colleagues and why we and a lot of other people think that they are also partially liable obviously they didn't actively kill people like Niels did but they definitely turned their heads and could have stopped this a lot sooner than they actually did well think about it I mean if he has a body count as high as I mean 85 that he got convicted of but potentially as high as two or three hundred like how do you not realize that this one particular worker has all of these cases where people die right around the time that he's working? Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. So, investigators believe that Neil's colleagues had, in fact, noticed his irregular behavior, but did not do enough to stop him, which allowed him to keep going with his murders. So, senior staff at the two hospitals he worked at while committing these murders are being accused of turning a blind eye, like I mentioned. And so, some of the employees in the hospital in Delmenhorst were charged with negligent manslaughter. So, they're actually facing, you know, charges for this. According to NPR, they were charged for, quote, not taking quick and decisive action to stop Hogel even after a colleague saw him inject a patient with Ajmaline, end quote. So this is on that June 2005 when Niels was officially caught. That day, A nurse walked in to see him standing over a patient whose life support had been unhooked and there were four vials of a medicine in the trash can that was not prescribed to the patient. The nurse took a blood sample and sent it for tests and the patient died the next day. Now two days after he was caught and the day after he was, day after the patient died, 
The test results turned up an overdose of heart meds, and the doctor and nurse in charge discussed what to do. They ultimately decided to allow him to finish his shift. Yikes. During that last shift, Renee Roper, who was 67, became his last victim. Jesus Christ. So they are responsible then. Like, oh, absolutely. No question. Mm hmm. First of all, that nurse walks in, sees him standing over a life support machine unhooked, four vials of a medication that's not prescribed to this patient, and they still decide that it's okay to let him keep working. The next day the patient dies, they still decide it's okay to keep, for him to keep working. The third day, the test results show up, and they find out it was an overdose of heart meds that killed the patient. And they decide it's okay for him to finish his shift, and he kills someone else. Absolutely not. Here's the thing, right? Absolutely not. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. As The second you see him standing over the patient with medicine that they aren't prescribed, I'm sorry, you're done, go home. Like, we'll investigate, and then you might be able to come back. Like, yeah, exactly. Period. Because to me, it's like, that's somebody's life. That's somebody who is now dead, possibly because of his actions. Especially, especially once the patient died. Like, exactly. Absolutely not. Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, they're being charged with negligent manslaughter. But it's four colleagues, four former colleagues that are currently awaiting trial for these negligent manslaughter charges. So in one source, I found negligent manslaughter charges and negligent negligent homicide charges, but I'm attributing that to a translation error because most articles initially were in German. I also um, think, like, there's a sliding scale because a lot of times people will be charged with, like, second-degree murder, and then they have, like, the scale of, like, you can get second-degree murder or you can get manslaughter or you can get you know, third degree or whatever, you know, like, it's not always just one of the things. They just try to press charges for the highest thing, but also with, like, options for lower things. So, it might be both. So, yeah, potentially. So, it's four of his former colleagues that are currently awaiting trial for this, but in fact, the prosecutor believes that the colleagues charged with this negligent homicide charge believes that they had more than enough evidence even before you know june of 2005 to realize that he was killing patients he said that they had enough evidence by at least a month before niels was officially caught but just chose not to take action that's so fucking gross i know i think it's got to be one of those things where like the hospital has certain policies about like how things should go and that may be why they like kind of fell back to oh well it's hospital policy to like let him finish his shift or like you know we'll figure it out you know and that needs to be changed but I feel like if they had evidence beforehand then it's even grosser because it's like well it's not hospital policy that like let him finish his shift it's the fact that like they just didn't want to believe it they were looking at the evidence looking at the evidence looking at the evidence and just saying there's no way. Niels is a nice guy. He takes care of my kids sometimes. Like, you know, I don't know. Right. So the judge of the 2015 trial, Sebastian 
Berman also ordered that a further eight of his colleagues be investigated for perjury, believing that they either lied to the court or withheld evidence to cover up their own asses (laughs) or the hospital's lapses in action. So that's 12 people being charged officially for covering things up or failing to act to save people's lives when they had more than enough evidence that Niels was killing people like actually like this isn't something innocent like this isn't something that's not a big deal you know like this isn't him like taking supplies home you know right like this is him actually like murdering murdering people potentially 300 plus people yeah and the reality is, like, even if one of those could have been saved, that's enough. Mm-hmm. Like, that's exactly. enough to, to stop him. That Especially that last one, Renate Roper, like, that last victim absolutely could have been saved. For sure. Fucking and, ridiculous. Well, and the thing to me is, like, why, like, if you see him, if you catch him doing something shifty, giving people medicine they shouldn't have, like, that's you enough. Send them home. That's done. Yeah, that's, you just send them home. That's you done. can even if you're not sure, you can just be like, "Go home while we investigate this. If we find nothing, we'll bring you back." Right? Like, like you put him on paid work. administrative leave or whatever while you exactly. figure it out. Exactly. And I'm sure that um, that would be fucking annoying because then you have to bring in people who's not you know weren't supposed to work. But at the same time, at least people don't fucking die. Exactly. Now. Even before he started working at the Delmanhorst Hospital, colleagues of his at his previous job in Oldenburg were suspicious of him also, but said that they never went to higher-ups because they didn't think it was their business. What? How is patients' yeah. lives not your business? I, I fucking, I don't know. But they were just like, hmm, that's weird. Maybe he's killing people. Oh, well, not my business. We're not going to go to our bosses. That's suspicious. Like, no. Go go tell your fucking boss, homie. Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. kick your ass. Yeah. But either way, higher-ups in Oldenburg were still suspicious anyways due to the high numbers of deaths, which makes sense because, like, every time he's around a patient, they fucking die. And so they eventually barred him from all contact with patients, which is great. So they essentially, like, shut him out of his job. But that's why he left his job at Oldenburg and began working at the Delmenhorst Hospital. But despite these suspicious suspicions of him, in Oldenburg, they never fired him and no official action was taken against him so that in future positions, he would not be able to harm his patients. So they were just like, it's somebody else's problem now, at least we don't have to deal with mm-hmm. them. Exactly. <sighs> in fact, when he was seeking out his job at the Delmanhurst Hospital, he received a fucking reference letter from his bosses at Oldenburg, Absolutely which stated not. that he worked, quote, independently and conscientiously. Absolutely not. Which is just, like, you think this guy is killing people, and you're writing him a reference letter so he can get another job where he's just gonna go and kill more people? Absolutely not. I mean, they they didn't have the guts to fire him, though, so that kind of makes sense. Right. 
Once he began working at the Delmanhurst Hospital, the death rate almost immediately doubled and the use of heart medicine increased suspiciously. So it's like, you, I don't know, to me, I just, like, if it's like one or two deaths, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, whatever. But like, when it's that fucking many, you know, like, you know, you have to know. Especially when they're all associated with this fucking dude, like, I don't. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, four, okay, of the 411 deaths recorded at the Delmanhurst Hospital in the years that Niels worked there, 321 of them happened either during or right after his shifts. God. See, that's why, that's where the, that's where the 300 comes from, right? Is, like, the, he had that many that could have been associated with him. Well, that's only a Delmanhurst, babe. Like, oh my god. That's not even taken into account Oldenburg or another hospital he worked at before he transferred to Oldenburg. God. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Now, today, Niels is widely considered to be the most prolific killer in post-war Germany. Jesus. Like, fuck him. Fuck this guy, and fuck the hospitals and staff and colleagues who did nothing to stop him. Right. Like, goddamn. Right. Now, the same psychiatrist that testified in um, Niels' trial claimed that he had a narcissistic disorder. So, that's, you know, technically a psychiatrist opinion. I don't want to argue with a psychiatrist. I just want to have a conversation about narcissism and what I perceive to be the way that people in true crime communities will label people as psychopaths or narcissists or whatever else as a way to, like, cop out and not have to deal with the fact that, like, people kill people. So, let's just talk a little bit about narcissism. Niels could very well be a narcissist. He definitely doesn't have a lot of compassion for people. He definitely fucking sucks. I will agree with that. You know, even though he was a nurse, he seemed to regard his standing with his friends much more highly than people's lives, which is fucked. But I guess let's just talk a little bit about narcissism. So, psychology today defines narcissism as a grandiose sense of self-importance, a lack of empathy for others, a need for excessive admiration, and the belief that one deserves special treatment. This definition, or like facets of it, are kind of across the board. I was reading, and pretty much everybody agreed on those, at least facets of it. But Psychology Today also notes that narcissism should be viewed on a spectrum, and it's a trait that everyone has some amount of, but very few have a, like, super excessive amount of. So, pathological narcissism is very rare. It's less than 1% of the population has, like, a pathological narcissism. Narcissists also are often aware that they are very self-centered or potentially narcissistic, And if they're asked on an assessment if they're a narcissist, the people that say yes on that question score much higher on a narcissism assessment than the normal population. So most people who are narcissists know that they are narcissists. But one thing that's interesting to note is that narcissism as a condition is kind of, since 2013 and probably a little bit before that, has been kind of debated within the psychiatric community as to whether it's a like condition of its own or if it's kind of a facet of a few other conditions that other like people have so 
some people say that it's kind of a, like I said, a sliding scale and a variety of people will experience like varying rates of narcissism or like self-centeredness at different points in their lives or in conjunction with other disorders that they have. And it might be more meaningful to study and treat those disorders than it is to treat narcissism or to study narcissism on its own. Other people say that it's important to study narcissism as its own disorder and that if it were eliminated from the DSM, then it would get less funding, less research, and less treatment ultimately. So the definition has changed a little bit in recent years, but the ICD, which is like the WHO version of the DSM essentially, still contains the diagnosis and so does the DSM. The DSM's just slightly changed it a little bit since 2013. So that's kind of like diagnosis of narcissism, which is, I think, important to keep in mind because a lot of times I think in the true crime community, we have this tendency to say, oh, they're a psychopath, they're a narcissist, and that allows us to remove the person from what we consider to be human and what we consider to be normal behavior. And we're able to say, well, because they were a narcissist, that's why they did this, or because they were a psychopath, that's why they did this. And I don't think that that's actually helpful in understanding crime. And I don't think that that's helpful in understanding, like, what happens to people. Because I think that it allows us to just take a step back from it too much and not have to grapple with the fact that, like, Niels is a human being. Like, is he potentially narcissistic? Yes. But he still decided to do those things and he still knew that it was wrong, right? I Um, think that also it attributes only potentially that one thing as their entire personality and their entire being right it's like i have depression but that's not the entire facet of my personality right and there are Um, plenty of narcissists and psychopaths who don't kill people right and i just i don't know like i feel like there are much healthier ways and much more helpful ways to go about that analysis. Right. And I want to just shout out to You're Wrong About and Sarah Marshall. I mean, if you're listening to us, I'm sure you've heard of them. If you haven't heard of them, go listen to all of it. It's fucking great. But she talks about, like, the term psychopath particularly. And I, I to me, I kind of lump in psychopath, sociopath, narcissist in kind of a similar category because in pop culture, they're talked about very similarly. We see them kind of on a spectrum of like, well, he's a narcissist, but he's not a sociopath, or he's a sociopath, but he's not a psychopath, or whatever. And it's like, that's not how any of that works. And technically, most of them are antisocial personality disorder anyway. But like, mm-hmm. I'll get off my soapbox about diagnosis for a minute. But doesn't, like, Sarah Marshall also, like, doesn't even agree that, like, the diagnosis of a psychopath should even be a thing, right? Right, yeah. She basically says, like, psychopath is a meaningless phrase, which, to a certain extent, I agree with. Like, I think that there's a difference between, like, a clinical diagnosis of psychopath and a, like, whatever, you know, like, in pop culture diagnosis of psychopath. But I think the thing that she points out that I think is really helpful and really changed my whole perspective is, like, The quintessential psychopath or the quintessential narcissist that we have in our, like, lexicon is Ted Bundy, right? 
And mm-hmm. she does this beautiful conversation, and it's in a Patreon episode. So if you don't have their Patreon, you won't be able to hear her analysis of it. Honestly, it's probably worth it just to hear it. But she talks about, so Ted Bundy is like the quintessential psychopath or narcissist, but even he really doesn't fit like our common perception of a psychopath. Because a psychopath is somebody that doesn't feel bad about what they did, is so cunning and manipulative and you know, really great at what they do that they can't be caught and the police have a hard time finding them and they're super intelligent and, you know. And Ted Bundy, A, was super disorganized. He was pretty easy to catch. Everyone knew his ex-girlfriend and other people, like, saw it in him and were like, yeah, I think that the Ted that drives the Beetle that's killing women, I think it's our friend Ted, right? And he was kind of very disorganized at the end of his, like, kill spree when he was in Florida. He was almost begging to be caught. He was speeding. He was trying to get caught by police in different ways, trying to have them find him. And then he um, ultimately, in prison, kind of wouldn't, like, we talk about how narcissists or, like, psychopaths don't care about what they've done. They are, you know, happy talking about it. You think of, like, Ed Kemper, right? Where he's like, yeah, so I killed her because I felt like it and this is my childhood and I don't really feel bad about it and blah, blah, blah. And, like, that Ed Kemper quality isn't present in Bundy where he doesn't want to talk about his crimes. He doesn't want to be recognized for his crimes. He basically will never admit that he's actually the one that did them all the way until his death, despite the fact that there's overwhelming evidence that it was definitively, for sure, him. And he just kind of, all the way through, doesn't check all of these boxes of the, you know, psychopath or the killer or whatever that we have in our heads. I and think that, that's, like, I don't think that that exists. Like, what we as a society or pop culture has decided is a psychopath or a sociopath like the perfect one like I don't think that that actually exists like because that's not what people are no well because I mean okay there are definitely people who have a decreased empathy or compassion response to other people that exists but the idea of like the cunning intelligent killer who doesn't care about their crimes and feels no remorse or no guilt or is, you know, willing to admit to it all the time, you know, it's like, there are very, very, very few people who are going to fit that. And to label just any old killer, a narcissist or a psychopath or whatever, as a way of mitigating our connection to them as a human being just isn't helpful. It doesn't help prevent crime. It doesn't help encourage police officers to do their fucking jobs well. And it only serves, like, our, I don't know, collective guilt as a society. Because the reality is, most of the time, people aren't criminals for no reason. And that sounds crazy, but the reality is, usually there's a reason that people do the things that they do. And when we frame someone as, oh, they're just a psychopath, they're a narcissist, there's no reason that they did it, it takes away from our ability to prevent crime in the future and to, you know, actually address the criminal problems that we have in the current day, right? And 
the reason that people are so ready to say he's a sociopath he's a psychopath oh he's a narcissist is because it's easier to label someone as being kind of like a monster or having some sort of mental illness that you don't understand it's easier to label it like attribute it to that than to like sit down and realize that a lot of crime happens because of the way that we've built society well and the reality is like the psychopath is far more prevalently white men than anyone else Mm -hmm. and so like even if a psychopath exists why is it white men why isn't it i don't know women or people of color that are predominantly psychopaths probably because the reality of the situation is that the way that we've constructed society and the way that the roles around being a man have come to be and the way the pressures that society puts on them force them into these narrow channels of you know only being able to express anger out of all of the emotional spectrum you know having to put on this bravado and this like machismo or whatever you want to call it where they're these big tough men and so they don't ever learn how to handle their own emotions or to recognize emotions in other people right Mm -hmm. like to me that makes way more sense as like a explanation than oh he just hates you know women he's a psychopath so he's gonna kill him it's like obviously he fucking hates women obviously he doesn't have empathy for them but why doesn't he and then we can start to address those things change society which like i know that that's like a dream right that's years out but like if we recognize the problem we can change the factors in society that contribute to those problems and make it to where white men don't kill people and like we've said before most crime happens within people who know each other within social circles like most crime isn't going to happen like murder specifically isn't going to happen like where like a stranger's gonna like fucking break into your home and kill you like that happens very rarely and a lot of things like that happen in impoverished neighborhoods and specifically impoverished neighborhoods or like neighborhoods with populated with people of color right and that's a societal problem and so when you look at the numbers it seems like more people of color are committing crimes but the reason for that is because we're segregating them within into these neighborhoods and lives where they have less money and they're more impoverished and so then that leads to them committing crimes right and again that's a societal problem but it's easier to say that it's always mental illness or that specific people are more violent than others or like whatever reason that you want to give it rather than actually sit down and think about the fact that no it's there's actually like problems underlying every single crime but you just don't want to like fucking look at it well and they're just gonna let it keep happening there's two different mechanisms right there's the mechanism that's pushing white men to kill white women and then there's the mechanism that's pushing other you know people of color who are systematically impoverished and told that they're dangerous and told that they're bad people into crime as well so i think those are two separate mechanisms and i don't mean to like obfuscate them but ultimately if we talk about the issues within the broader context that they exist in we're gonna get way further than if we talk about oh he's just a a crazy killer he's a psychopath or he's a narcissist 
Right. Right. Exactly. So on this podcast, you're never going to hear us say, or I hope you never hear us say, and if you do, call us call out us on out. that yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. But I hopefully you never hear us say, he was probably just a psychopath or a sociopath. Or, right. man, she's fucking crazy. Right. You know, like, we never want to, A, give anybody any sort of label of a mental illness. Yeah. Um, B, we never want to say that anybody's crazy because that's ridiculous. Right. And C, we never want to attribute any sort of crimes to somebody being a psychopath, a sociopath, or a narcissist. Right. And ultimately, we want to also address the deeper issue behind that. And we also want to, we want to point to the problem in the person, right? Because ultimately, their individual decision to kill somebody is super Mm -hmm. fucked up. But also the broader issue within society that could potentially led to that, right? Right. Because, like, obviously, Neil's problem in this case was that he was looking for the yeah, he wanted that ego boost. He wanted to be recognized by his peers. Which really, yeah. honestly, is a, like, self-esteem problem. Narcissism in and of itself is kind of a self-esteem problem. And we think that it's like, oh, they have too much self-esteem. It's like, no, they're actually kind of low self-esteem. They just put on this bravado. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say that he killed people because he was a narcissist or he wasn't a narcissist because we don't know. Right. And ultimately his true motive is unknown we just know what he did that it was fucked up that hopefully you know society will change in ways that prevent this from happening again and ultimately right we're talking also about the systemic issue of the hospital allowing it to continue for as long as it did right 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 like as soon as the numbers started being like started looking suspicious around him they should have done something Right, and ultimately, we should have have computer systems checking this kind of stuff, honestly. Exactly, Right. exactly. Like, your nurse count should go, hey, he's kind of got a lot of people dying around him. Mm -hmm. He's kind of got a lot of people dying around him. Who was on, like, you know, who was taking care of that guy when he died? Oh, it was Niels? That's kind of weird, right? We should make him do something. The reality is that Niels Hogel isn't the only nurse that has murdered his patients like this like this isn't just like a one time case this is a thing that's happened before and probably will happen again well nurses aren't the only ones that do this too there's first responders firefighters police officers that do this kind of a thing where they will put people in danger intentionally to be the savior and exactly so we need to have systems in place to stop this kind of thing from happening Mm -hmm. absolutely right but yeah hopefully you guys enjoy that episode and kind of well i guess not enjoyed but <laughs> enjoyed the conversation that we had at the end there yeah but yeah if you have any thoughts or would like to discuss it with us you can over on our instagram at fatal tales or on our twitter at fatal tales pod you can also send us an email at fataltales at gmail.com all of our social medias will be linked in the show notes and yeah i guess that's all and remember guys be gay and don't do crimes or at least don't get caught Bye, guys. Have a good one.